The Nidrex Traveling Circus has been disbanded, and with it, a huge hole in the entertainment industry. The search for the new big event is underway. While many interesting ideas for pastimes have circulated around Autumn Depths, none has drawn more attention than the competition event brought forward by the charismatic but mysterious tiefling from the Redleaf Frontier. Welcome to Background Checks, the character and world building podcast. Uh, I'm Brian Perry. I'm Houston Bodily. And I'm Jake Bush. Um, awesome. So today, uh, Houston is our quest giver, uh, but I do have our world building prompt because it's something that's been eating away at me for a while and it kind of is important to my character. So you did text me before we started recording and saying, hey, I'm commandeering the world building prompt yeah. today. So I acquiesced. Go ahead. I politely asked for permission and you said, I actually haven't come up with anything yet. So go ahead. It sounds better the way I said it, but so yeah, this sounds, this sounds important. It is important. It's like, it's fundamental. Like it is fundamental. Okay. Here's the question. This is something that was raised in our very first episode and it has been bothering me ever since we established that there is no sexual reproduction. Um, and babies <laughs> are not my storks in this world, but we didn't establish where do they get them from? Like what makes the babies? Okay, so the question is, where do babies come from? I get that the parents, yes. I get that the parents get babies delivered to them, and sometimes they're dogs, and that's fine. <laughs> I, they, just have to, they just have to come from somewhere. You can't make a delivery from nowhere to some, somewhere. Here's the question I have. Do the children look like their parents? Because then we have to somehow explain, either through magical or genetical means, how this child is getting the DNA of its parents. I think they do, because I think we've established that there are things like half elves and half orcs, right? Or we've, we have, we've at least just assumed that they, that we're following the species that uh, exist in the dragons. Well, okay. What if it's any DNA? That, that's where I, let me, let me pitch to you my idea. Okay. And then we can kind of work from there. I think you, I think there is some magic, you know, someone is taking something from the parents and is putting them together. I don't think it has to be like DNA, but it's something representing the parents. They do some stuff. Can I can I fill in this step? Okay. I think it's a mail order system. Like you send forward some DNA samples. Fine. So it's twenty three me, and then FedEx will deliver it to the moon, and then the moon gods. Okay. Yeah. Take some magical moon dust and mix it in with your DNA, and then send their space storks back to you. And maybe that's getting ahead of where you're going with this, but I just want to—I just want to sneak that pitch in real quick. I wasn't expecting us to also invent space travel, especially since we're having a hard time getting across the ocean. Um, but there may be a way to make that work with space storks. Just the storks. Just the space storks are okay. Are capable of that? That kind of throws a wrench in my character potentially. Let me introduce my character. My character is a delivery stork. He's an Aarakocca. So, so you're kind of establishing that my character this episode is able to fly to the moon. And I don't, I don't know if we could do that. They like don't need to breathe air. What if it's moon dust? What if it's moon dust related? It's moon dust related. They don't have to go to the moon, but there needs to be some special area. And maybe it's a, there's like a few, maybe like hive centers. Like, yeah. It, this almost sounds like larva, like yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't love the concept of like a giant, like industrial baby farms. What if it's nests? What if it's eggs? What if everyone is comes from eggs? I like that. 
what if what if in this world storks what if storks have just some bizarre biological properties where sometimes they give birth to a stork and sometimes a baby just comes out of the egg and no but, one knows but, why it, it still has the issue of where does the parents dna come from okay i want to i want to touch on that though because while yes that would make i mean that would work it does kind of like create a little bit of a contradiction in the case of one of our characters jed who received puppies from the storks because i don't think that those were taken from his dna that's why i think it's not dna it's some essence of the parents right exactly and essentially what it is is the storks just know it's like matchmaking and so yes the child might look Mm. like the parents and behave like them not because they share dna but because the storks were like oh this one looks like it would fit in great with that family it even that even looks like them a bit you know what i mean are you implying they're growing organically or the are the storks laying them still in this version? I haven't gotten that far yet. I just I'm just saying that like I don't think they need to have DNA from the parents to uh oh. yeah. So my question is what if there's a dragonborn and a half orc who get hitched and they're waiting hat in hand for a baby to come through, but the storks are just like, we don't have any dragonborn half orc hybrids. It's just not a common one we get from eggs. Oh man. We have too many. Like I think it has to be something. Okay. Here's another stipulation that I want to place on this. I think it's something that parents can do without the help of a service. But in the modern era, it's just done so much better by the service that everyone does it. Does that seem right? (laughs) Right? Because like public sourcing, this is Stork Uber. Let's bring your babies home from the hospital. That's absolutely the concept of my character. He is an Uber driver. But um, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm saying, though. Like You're saying they, people can have children through the way that we do it here on Earth as well? I no, I don't think it's that way. But I think it's like, I think they can... What if, what if it's this? You find some clay with moon dust in it. You take something from both of the parents. It doesn't matter what it is. Could be hair, fingernails, whatever, right? Maybe maybe just something from each of their clothing, even. And you put them in some clay that you have shaped into the shape of an egg. And the moon dust makes it form a shell and it it creates the baby inside. Okay. But now in the modern era, there's a company that can do it so much better. Right. They're like, oh, yeah, we we know all the science and the magic behind it. And we're going to really do it great. And then we've got our our certified storks to deliver them right to your door. Yeah, I okay. so I think that is a good solution. Period. Uh, okay. But I'm going to pitch something that may be simpler. Period. Before you said but, so that I felt like it was a good idea, even though you're about to change it. It's a good I idea. Validation. Also, also, <laughs> I want to pitch something that's maybe it maybe a retcon ish, but I think it'll simplify things. What if instead of these like nests or hive locations it's just they are the equivalent of birthing hospitals the parents go the mother gives birth to their child but uh medicine is still developing and so the society has determined that the best way to raise these kids is keep them in these birthing hospitals whatever we decide to call them for a couple weeks take care of them make sure they get the good nourishment they're not out in the wild like a lot of 
parents might be in this world. And then when they're ready to go home to their parents, they'll send them by stork delivery. However, if any of their children, any uh, children are lost, because I would assume infant mortality is pretty high back in the medieval era, um, they'll send you a compensation puppy. Mm. Well, we, they were surprised by the dogs. That's see, that's I, I keep my obviously my head's still there because Jed's my favorite person. But the fact that you know, I get my, my question is like, so do we, are we establishing that like human beings, couples or whatever, they are heavily involved in the stork process since the service, and they consult with the storks and they meet the storks and they re- request the babies from the storks, and there's no okay. such thing as a whoops baby in this world. Or, yeah, I think that's I, right. I, I, think, I think I'm fusing the ideas in my mind. I think we've got, I think we're, we're circling around it. And I think this is it. We take my idea of the parents make an egg. Okay. They put something from each of them inside of the egg. They take that egg or they send in the egg to a service for them to do the spells on it and to like incubate it and that kind of thing. And then when it's ready, they send it back. How do we feel about that? I still want compensation puppies at some point. No, no. Like. You just, you might get a puppy. When you make the egg, it might come back, back a puppy. It might this, come back two puppies named Smith and Wesson. Yeah, like like the storks. You don't know what's going to come out of the egg. Yeah, I, okay, I want, okay. That's the thing. I want there to be some element of, of, of magic to this or, or mysticism in the sense that, like, it's not just like, oh, well, I'm going to put in a strand of my hair and I'm going to put in a toenail and we're going to get a baby. Are we like glorifying you know? sex to make it more magical than it already is? <laughs> no, it's not <laughs> It's if you're There's crafting no an egg. <laughs> you you take an item. It's like it's like you know you take an item that represents you as a person. I think you're sacrificing something. It's something that means something to you. Something connected to yes. your soul. So Jed would have put in like a like a like a shell of a nine millimeter bullet, and the Storks were like, "Uh, I think we ought to send this guy a dog." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this guy should be a father. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that works. Yeah. So the, the, so it, it makes it possible that the parents can be like surprised by, by the child they receive, but they did have some hand in influencing what came out of the egg. But I think you're right that there are no accidents. I mean, other than you might get a dog, but like, mm-hmm. um, like you, what you are planning on having a child. Yeah. Unless, I mean, you could have situations that it's not necessarily an accident, but it also wasn't necessarily an agreement because maybe the husband or the wife just makes the egg and steals something from the other person oh, without, yeah. tell, without telling them. You could mm-hmm. also just get really drunk on Orange Julius's one night and, uh, and just, yeah. hey, let's make an egg. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with some stranger at a bar. Like, yeah. hey, crazier things have happened. Okay. Houston, I feel like you're not being heard. I feel like I feel like we walked away from your idea a little bit and you've been quiet ever since. Yeah, I think we're playing in the sandbox, but we're not playing in the big leagues yet with this. And so <laughs> I'll I'll be willing to accept this for now, but I, I'm going on record that I would like to revisit this in the future and see if we can come up with something better. There. I I I'm loving it actually at this point though. Uh, okay, I have one last question about the deliveries. Does the stork also pick up the egg from the parents to take it back to the the sort of place where it's taken care of and then bring it back, or is it uh, do you, the parents have to like go and take it somewhere? Yeah, they just they just put the egg in a basket and hang it from a tree or something. Okay, I like that. I yeah, I I do think if we are going this, I do want to just make it as ludicrous as possible, and it is a melon sperm bank yeah, situation. I, I think that's right. 
So like in the olden days, like maybe there was just like an elder in your town who could do the spells and stuff. But now that everything is sort of like corporatized or whatever, it's like, yeah, there's just sort of like a few different distribution centers and you just you just send it, ship it off and you you get your child back. And I also think, Brian, like the fact that your character is a stork is going to shed more light on this because my initial reaction was like, well, like it's not like the parents could go meet with the storks and talk to them. Storks don't speak. You know what I mean? But do they? Right. He is an Aarakocra um, who just looks like a stork. He's basically the Vlasic Pickles guy. Or uh, maybe stork is a variation, like a subspecies of Aarakocra. Like, right, that's what I was figuring. Yeah, because there's falcon Aarakocra races. So, yeah. There can be stork Aarakocras. Yeah. I actually did find like a whole like fan-made like taxonomy of every possible bird and like what stats they should have as an Aarakocra. So there is like a water heron section or whatever. That's the next expansion of Wingspan that comes out. It's just every bird as an Aarakocra variation. Yeah, exactly. And and there's some that are just storks and they just run deliveries. But since they can't speak or anything, they don't really get the, the high paid positions of consulting and meeting with parents to discuss their future children. Yeah, that works with me. Well, OK, uh, now we can get into the, the adventure. I just had to settle that because it's sort of integral to my character as you'll see, and so I, understand. I just had to have the result. It, I almost feel like we could have done a whole episode about it. I'm not sure if anything else we can do in this will ever match this conversation we had right here. I think it's 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 a good thing that we had this conversation because, um, you know, as they say, when when someone's ready to ask, it's uh, it's means that they're ready to know where babies come from. Exactly. And now we were ready. And we don't want Brian growing up in this world confused about this whole thing, you know, because then he might get some like bad information, could have some distorted views. I appreciate that you used correct terminology. That really matters. I appreciate <laughs> that. I also like to think that this is could be one person's interpretation. And by could one person, I mean like junior high kids interpretation, of how babies are made. So it could be revisited later. Uh, we can we can leave it open for there being some other method. How about that? I'm fine with that. It can't it can't be wrong. It's if it's happening all the time and people are always being born. It can't be wrong, but I can't. I do. I am open to the possibility that there are other ways to make a child. Okay. Yeah. All I'm saying, other than sexual reproduction, I'm not open to that. <laughs> no sex. Because we've established it's not true. That is the big thing we've established here is there's no more fun in this world because the circus doesn't exist. And that includes sexual reproduction. I don't think we said no sex. I think we just said that sex does not lead to babies. On that note, let's go into where we left off from last time. <laughs> okay. Of the big hole that is missing in this world. Um, and it's not sexual reproduction. It is. There's no more entertainment in Nidorex because we disbanded the circus last time. Can we get a clean read? It's, it's Nidex. Nidex? Yeah. Is it not Nidorex? No. Nope. Oh, it's a colloquial thing. Some people call it Nidex. Some people call it Nidorex. And I'm going to call it Nidorex the rest of the episode. So now you have to deal with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Nidex is what the locals call it, though. Yeah, well, this guy, who, well, let me back it up. There's a lot of people who are trying to come up with different ideas to fill this entertainment hole, but not very many people are creative in the realm of popular pastimes, except for one tiefling who comes riding into town one day 
And his name is Pref Jobst. Uh, and he is an outsider, and you can tell because he calls the place Niderex. He's going to yeah. pitch this giant competition in which athletes or adventurers, just general uh, wilderness survivor people, uh, can go out into this resort that he's created. And they're going to traverse the elements and the dangers of the wild frontiers. And uh, they're going to be making and breaking alliances one with another to try and get ahead in this competition. Uh, oh, kind of a survivor. They're all shooting for ultimate glory. And it's going to be called Survivor, hosted by Pref Jobs, the tiefling. Um, I was trying to figure out what Pref Jobs was. I did not, I did not get to Jeff Probst in time. <laughs> yeah, we need that. <laughs> what are these sounds that you're putting together? What sound? What word ends with obst? <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I'm with you now. Ref Jokes is not my character, just to be clear. I'm going to introduce my character later. Um, and you'll see why Pref Jokes is not my main character here in a second. But I'm going to open it up to you guys, and maybe we'll start with Brian because he's already teased us yeah. with his uh, Stokra. Um, but I wanted you two to bring two characters who would be interested in this competition. And just to reiterate, it, this is Survivor. You're going to um, release people out in the resort, have a big Survivor-esque competition, fight the elements, maybe some owlbears that are raiding camp, make alliances break up. Uh, and so why would your two characters, one, be interested in this kind of competition, and two, why would they be qualified for this kind of competition? Or at least think they are qualified for this kind of competition. Awesome. So, yeah, my character is named Brett Siconia. Because um, Brett is... I've never met a Brett that wasn't a jock. So <laughs> his name is Brett Siconia. And he is a stork-looking Aarakocra. Uh, he is a life cleric uh, from the Ottenham Marshlands. So in, the, in our inverse mountain, the sort of crater-looking thing. I imagine there are places where water collects and there's some marshland, sort of what a peak would be, except it's marsh. Um, and his whole thing is that he's in sort of like dead end delivery jobs, but he like is super upbeat about them. So he like delivers food, delivers babies, whatever, um, delivers packages. Um, I don't know if he delivers people. That seems like a stretch. To, that there's, I guess it could be like Pokemon where there's like a taxi cab where it's a giant bird that carries a box. That seems weird. I don't think I would take an Uber that was just a bird carrying, like a bird person carrying me. So I don't think he does that. I, I mean, think he delivers everything else. When you go back east, there are the guys on bikes with like the carriages behind them that bike you around. The I can kind of picture it now. So it's sort of a rickshaw situation, yeah. but in the sky. I, I mean, he could just be holding on to a rope and below it dangling in a carriage is a person. Yeah, okay. It feels weirder to me than like food or babies, but Okay. Um how about, how about it does happen, but it's kind of frowned upon as seen as a pretty bizarre thing to do. If it ever happens, it's someone who like lied. They were like said they were they were getting a package shipped, but it was actually themselves. Yeah. It's like, yeah. all right, whatever, as long as you tip me. Yeah. And so his whole thing is like he's gotta do the best job possible because he's gotta get those tips. Cause get I guess we're establishing tipping in this world. But okay. um in order to do a better job at this, especially with the babies, is he became a life cleric. He took a, he took like an online course, or I guess a correspondence course from the Heart Moon Academy, and he he's very good at just sort of, you know, he'll uh, 
he'll make the babies look especially, you know, rosy cheeked and stuff when they arrive. And, uh, you know, he really takes his job seriously, but he knows it's not really going anywhere. Um, but he's good at it. You know what I mean? He's, he's a fast guy. He's really athletic. And, and there, there aren't really a, there aren't really jobs for athletic people in this world so far. So when he hears, Oh, sports competition, like I could actually get like make a living and like become a star based on this. I'm in like, I super want to do this. So that's why he's qualified and interested in the survivor competition. Nice. Can you remind me what his class was? He is a life cleric. Life cleric. Nice. Cause he, he loves bringing life to the world. That, that does make sense. <laughs> that's also a good attribute to have in a survivor competition. Literally. Right. Cause literally. will survive. Oh, and the, the, the celebrity reference that I chose for him is Kenneth Parcell from 30 rock. Um, when I Google the picture of him, um, he does have kind of a pointy nose and I want to put it on the record that that's not why I chose him. He's just sort of that really enthusiastic person with a dead end job on 30 rock. Right. So anyway, okay. well, let's head over Jake. Who's Love your it. character? My character's name is general William Jones. Ooh. Um, and, uh, he is, uh, so he shows up and he introduces himself uh, as a, a, half, a half elf. Um, he is a rogue. He uh, is kind of like middle aged, but it's like it's not really clear exactly how old he might be. Um, and he's also just like kind of got a, a strange like look about him for a for a half elf, but he like you know introduces himself that way. And uh, he. Um, Oh, his, to, to mention his stats, his highest stat is Dexterity, and his lowest stat is um, Charisma. And he essentially has... Uh, oh, real quick. So we have established in the past that guns exist in this universe. Yes. And so he uh, explains that he was an accomplished um, battle commander who has gained victory in great battles with leagues of soldiers who have fought by his side and um, he has his, his sidearms on him. And he mentions that he, uh, he has led his troops to victory because of his great skill in that regard. Um, and then he, uh, what happened is he came back from um, a war victorious and he explains that he, he came home to find his, his wife just completely, um, like inconsolable because one of their children had been kidnapped while he was away at war. Right. Um, and he is grieving and he says, he's basically like, well, this, uh, this shook me up so badly that I, uh, I just, I lost my edge and now I, I can't fight and I can't, uh, I can't do what I used to do. And I, I'm here to, uh, to regain my edge and prove to myself that I still have it in me so that I can go and find my child and kill the man that took him. Sort of a taken situation then. Yeah. So kind of a midlife crisis so he, turned taken situation. Yeah. And he also just like, so he's kind of treating it as like training exercise where he can kind of try to get back in the game after this devastating situation that has left him just really shaken and really like, um, you know, not feeling confident in himself. And he's also treating it as a way to um, 
like maybe earns earn a cash prize that would help as he uh, goes about his quest to uh, to find his child. Um, and he's also just uh, kind of on the lookout for any clues or information. And this seemed like, you know, some place to start. It's, it's kind of like when the private detective on Pushing Daisies publishes a pop-up book, hoping that his daughter, his, his estranged daughter, will find the book and solve the clues in it and find her father. It's kind of similar to that. A reference that everyone can enjoy. Yes. Or a more exactly. accurate reference, or maybe not accurate, but like maybe a better known reference on Slumdog Millionaire, when the guy goes on who wants to be a millionaire just so his love interest can see him and find him. Oh, is that? I don't think I've actually seen all of Slumdog Millionaire. I've just seen like the flashback scenes. I took okay, so long since I saw that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is our first no nonsense character. You don't even have like a fun variation of a celebrity name for your character. I know. Yeah, right? true. He's and no Jimothy Chevrolet. No, he's no Jimothy Chevrolet. And yeah, like a, a couple quick notes, like on his demeanor. So he he like he explains all this information. Like he explains his background to, to people when he gets there. But he then, just walks up there and first person he sees, I would like to tell you my story. <laughs> I'm yeah, an NPC exactly. in this world. Let me tell you why I'm so grizzled in the grim dark land. <laughs> but then once once he's kind of given this basic, you know, background on things, he's uh he's just naturally very kind of evasive to any further prodding, right? Like a rogue. He doesn't really want to talk to anyone. Yeah, and he he like uh if people uh ask him questions, he either just kind of looks at him and then walks off or he'll kind of give an answer that people don't buy. So people are like, you know, like, where, where are you from? And he's like, I'm from, I'm from, uh, I'm from towns, Townsville, Townsville. And uh, they're like, that doesn't seem like a real place. And then he's like, well, why don't you mind your own damn business? And so he's very, no, he's like, no, he's no nonsense, but he's also like very private. And uh, yeah. Oh, physical. people are like, People probably say that he's he's not there for the right reasons, is what I would suspect. Yeah. He's not in and, it for uh, the love of the game. That was a reference for, like, reality show stuff, but I feel like maybe you guys <laughs> watched reality shows that didn't, didn't, like, get it's the reference. It's been a while. I didn't get it immediately, but now it's funny. <laughs> yeah, okay. they, Thank you they, for they, telling they, me that it's mostly funny. They accuse him that he's just there for the Instagram cloud. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess, lastly, he is um, chaotic neutral. And he he shows up in like a black uh, like commander's jacket. There's like an insignia on the on the front pocket that that nobody really necessarily recognizes. And if they ask him about it, he just doesn't open his mouth. Um, he's wearing like a large a large brimmed hat that kind of casts a shadow over his face. And uh, he also is uh, wearing like some sunglasses, which he uh, he crafted himself oh, because sun, sunglasses aren't That's like. This guy. Sunglasses aren't necessarily super common in this world. And he, uh, he, you know, he made them himself. And he just, uh, when people ask why he wears them, he says, sun gets in my eyes. That's about it. He's got to wear sunglasses because his future's so bright. Exactly. Yes. And uh, uh, lastly, like, to come up with a comparison to what he might look like, I liked um, 4J Smith from the show Yellowstone. 4J? I'm not familiar with the character yeah. name, but who's the actor who plays him? No, that is the actor. Oh. Forey oh, J. J. Smith. F-O-R-R-I-E. Unless I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, but Forey J. Smith. He's basically like a Sam Elliott knockoff. 
Yeah, he's absolutely I mean, a Sam Elliott knockoff. Like, like Kroger brand. The first picture, the first picture I see that comes up has the says Horsey Hooves. Is his name Horsey Hooves in the show? I really hope so, but I haven't watched Yellowstone. <laughs> Horsey Hooves. I think his name is Horsey Hooves. Uh, and also, apparently, this actor is an actual like cowboy. He's like a rodeo boy. He's not an really? actor. Or, like I'm, he is, but like he's just living the cowboy life. Yeah, it's like his background is rodeo. He's like a rodeo guy that was like, hey, we need Wait, someone who can ride a horse for this movie. Is Sam Elliott a knockoff for E.J. Smith? No. Because I mean, E.J. Smith seems like the real deal here. Well, and he also like, he was a stuntman in the 80s. This guy's cool. This guy's cooler than Sam Elliott. He has the same mustache, though. He's most well known for Rambo 3, Two Guns, Hell or High Water, and Yellowstone. Those are, wow. those are the, the four. I read this article. I, ne- I never found an explanation for why it said horsey hooves. It might be the website or something. Yeah, Maybe that's his nickname. It totally is. The website is horsey hooves. That makes that's more char- sense. That's his character's gamer tag. I'm horsey anyway. hooves. Um, uh, and that's about it. Okay. Well, nice. Just a totally just a just another character who is a cowboy with a mustache, but not he's not a cowboy. He's a commander. He's a general. Yeah, he's not a cowboy. He's he's like a general. He's a warrior. That's what he's telling people. Okay. So my next thing was going to be uh, Jeff Jobs. As all the competitors come together, he basically says, you all get one partner that you can be assigned to to start out with in the competition. So you need to pick a partner. And I was going to ask, why do your two characters pick each other? And I think it's more that everyone else avoids your two characters. The one who's too chipper and the one who's grumpy cowboy drink out of a, himself to death, man. Yeah, I don't think that Brett sees it that way. He's just like, wow, this guy's really accomplished. I bet I could learn a lot from this guy. Yeah, and 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 we, I think like when he introduces himself, um, General William Jones is like, uh, he's, he's kind of like taken aback to, to see this, I guess, person or stork person. Just a person, it's fine. <laughs> I don't I don't usually refer to birds as as person except for bird person who's a character but um anyway he he pretty willingly just says yes like almost like he almost seems enthusiastic about it and people think maybe it's because he doesn't really want to work with another you know human or I think we're going to win this whole thing what's that I think we're going to win this whole thing is what I'm thinking yeah cuz like I feel like my character has so much respect for you cuz like you're so different but also very clearly he's not going to question anything you're saying he's just like yeah like oh this guy's a commander like oh wow i've never heard of this army yeah don't care he's he's a commander like he's amazing um and as you have this bonding moment the two of you fall unconscious and when you come back to it takes a while to get your bearings but you realize you're at the bottom of a giant inverse mountain and you don't you as characters don't know its location but I'm going to tell you, it is the Inverse Mountain, an island uh, east of Nidorex called... So it's, oh, so it's a different Inverse Mountain? It is a different Inverse Mountain. Oh, I was expecting it to be the same Inverse Mountain when you Whoa. said that. It's not... So we've now established this is like a natural geological phenomenon. Yeah, I, I think we confirmed that That's... there's a few of these uh, throughout the sure. land. This is not, yeah, now... not Otnam Depths. This is Royal Balte. Uh, okay. And this is, as you soon find out, as 
a thaumaturgy tiefling uh, bellows out through, I guess, the canyon walls of this inverse mountain. You are now in a literal survivor competition. And oh no, this is that sounds bad. This is turned into the most dangerous game. Um, now the meta understanding of I'm this apparently not a person. What? You accept apparently I'm not a person. I'm not. I'm not the most dangerous game. Well, birds can be dangerous too. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the second most dangerous game. Birds. All birds. <laughs> this is the first through fifth most dangerous game. Anyway, um, what you guys don't know, and you'll uh, that's a, a little bit of meta knowledge, is that there is a group of these tiefling cultists who've been performing this most dangerous game competition. They've been like okay. sneaking in stragglers and enticing them to come in and then drugging them, putting them back at the bottom of this inverse mountain and giving them the hope that if they can escape from their tiefling trackers, then they get freedom. If not, they are dust in the wind. Um, and we are now coming on the 10 year anniversary of this. And so survivor is holding its celebrity challenge or it's all-star challenge. And so they've brought in the 10 most dangerous tiefling hunters and they oh, were shoot. looking for a big crowd and they realized, you know what? Everyone's freaking out about the circus being gone. We can take advantage of that. So they got a little ambitious and went into the big cities and started recruiting people for this. And so now there are a ton of people all trapped in this inverse mountain, having to escape from 10 of the most dangerous hunters in the world. And as you are taking in what's happening, a tiefling taps you both on the shoulders and says, Hey, don't worry. I'm not with them. But... I can help you. Uh, okay. This tiefling. Yeah, I really think we're going to win. This tiefling <laughs> goes, so my name is Rob Rock. Uh, specifically, there's a lot of Rob Rocks that I used to work with, so we had to designate ourselves. I was from a region called Boston, so they refer to me as Boston Rob Rock, uh, which if you're not familiar with Sci Survivor, Boston Rob is one of the more uh, famous oh, okay. Survivor players. Do you watch Survivor? I honestly never would have guessed that you watched I Survivor. Don't, but I know a lot about it through osmosis. Okay, cool. And I was just kind of interested in the idea of it for a fantasy D&D setting. Yeah, that is really fun. Rob Mariano, Boston Rob. Boston Bob? It's Bob. Oh, it's Rob. It is Rob. Okay, cool. This is Boston Rob Rock. Uh, he used to be... We now have to figure out where Boston is on the map. We can we can do that another time. We'll, put, we'll get it on the map sometime. Yeah. Oh, and maybe we don't know where Boston is yet. We have, we, we're in search of oh, Boston. Okay. Okay, that sounds like an indie film. Um, Boston. Boston Rob used to be the, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman-esque game designer for Survivor. Uh, like, in The Hunger oh. Games, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character. He he was that for this... I thought you were saying that the actor Philip Seymour Hoffman was a game designer. <laughs> uh, so the character that he's... The character that he's playing in Hunger Games, that's essentially what Boston Rob Rock was. Yeah, yeah. Um, got it. Before he decided to develop a... Uh, decided to develop a conscious. I'm sticking with that. He he chose to be aware of what was going on. Um, okay, he's woke. And so he tried to talk <laughs> his uppers out of doing these competitions, saying, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not good to kill other people for sport and fun. Um, and so they incarcerated him. And now as punishment... They are putting him as a lone player 
in ah, this Survivor competition. Okay. However, since he is the master designer, he knows all the tricks better than any of his uh, anyone who would take over his position. So he was able to locate another pair of players like yourselves and says, hey, we need, a, we need to get out of here. I can help you with taking out the hunters. If you trust me, I promise. Uh, and he shows that he doesn't have any weapons on him. He's obviously kind of dirty and grimy and has been a prisoner for some time. Uh, Brett absolutely doesn't question it. <laughs> I, I, I've decided he just like believes whatever. He's like, yeah, cool. Awesome. We're really going to we're going to really dominate this competition now. Yeah, and Mike just nods his head. Says, um, and he, to me. he says, cool. Um, and then he summons a giant flaming sword out of the air because he is a Hexblade warlock, and he does have Pact of the Blade and can summon a sword even when he doesn't have one. Whoa. He goes, I do know where a secret weapon stash is. I can get you guys loaded up before we proceed. All right. Sounds like you're, uh, you're on melee. You're on, uh, you're on ranged weapons, and I'm the healer. I, I think we got a good dynamic here. We should probably do some rolls. Let's do it. We really ought to like pitch this to HBO as a really grim miniseries. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. There isn't a single episode of this podcast that wouldn't make a great miniseries, and that's why we don't act them out, because that would take away from the magic. Exactly. <laughs> All right, we're rolling then? Yes. Roll D20. Thank you, Google. Um, I want you guys to go first with your roles, with what your plan is. Okay. Okay. I'm going to pull up the table here um, so we can, so we make sure that we're uh, doing this right. Score number wise. You know what I'm saying? Right. Are you streaming? Yeah. Oh, that's Craig. I was like, why are there four windows? That's Craig. Craig. Okay. So um, here is our uh, thing. So, okay. I rolled, I got a three. So I had a bad approach. <laughs> So I think I think his main approach is literally just to like anytime he sees someone, he's gonna be like, hey, hey, over here, thinking that we can like all team up. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, this is gonna be awesome. Oh, man. First, this tiefling guy joined us. And now like, oh, what if we all just teamed up and then we could totally win this? I, I don't think he also processes that it is like literal life and death. I think he does still just think it's a game. Even even with the most obvious hints, he's just like, yeah, let's do this. This is fun. I think if this is like Fortnite. It's a group of three where one person kind of goes off on their own and just like goes guns blazing at other parties and expects his other two uh, partners to catch yeah. up. Even though I'm the yes. healer. But uh, so but to clarify real quick, like this isn't a Hunger Games, right? This is most dangerous game. So wouldn't it make sense to you, you can trust people as long as they're not a tiefling? I guess so. Um, but you also, I guess, I, wouldn't want to just. I think the yelling. I think it's the like. Just sort of like the, the clueless enthusiasm is probably his downfall. Right. Got it. So I think no matter what, based on this situation and that role, I think he's probably dead. He <laughs> um, was very excited about this as like the beginning of a new life, but he is even mistaken. He might go unconscious at some point, but depending on how Jake and I do, we'll see if yeah, we get it. your body out and we can revive you later or not. If he dies... I'm going to be like so sad because like he's so pure. <laughs> yeah, he is very pure. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like a fun sports thing. He's the yeah. he's like the Dobby character who dies to let you know the stakes are real and that you're at the low point in yeah. the story. Yeah, yeah. X is, is serious business. No one is safe. Uh, Jake, <laughs> what did you get? Okay, uh, roll. I got a thirteen. 
Okay. That's an okay approach according to our table. Yeah. Um, let me pull up again. 13, meaning that, well, that would be like, like a mixed success, right? Well, the, when we say mixed success, that's like the outcome based on the whole group. Oh, I see. Your individual role is that you do an okay approach. So describe your okay approach. Okay. And then he's okay do his and then describe the outcome. So he is, uh, he is just very um, dependent on his ability with his, uh, with his sidearms. And so he does a, a really good job when it comes to like when he gets attacked by a tiefling or they identify one, he can just pick them off like nobody's business. Right. But and this raises a few a few eyebrows with the other tiefling and stuff. He uh, also isn't uh, he, he's he's kind of slow and he gets winded really easily and uh, he just doesn't seem very like fit. And so. He uh, essentially his his sidearms are his only uh, way of of dealing with situations and and they work well. But um, I think that he doesn't necessarily have what it takes to solve every situation and survive with like a wide skill set, you know, like how I kind of would add to this, though, is. Brian is messing it up so bad, and I think we're getting by. Like, we're fighting off the challenges, but because mm-hmm. Brian is so loud, it's drawing attention of the lot of, of most of the hunters towards us. So we're constantly on the run, constantly, yeah. like, getting by on the skin of our teeth based on your practice. I feel like the general's, like, moves with his guns could be enough if if he had a good, solid team behind him. Yeah, he's picking them off, like like... Basically, your character, Brian, is drawing all the attention to us. And my yeah. character's doing a good job of, like, you know, picking off these uh, enemies as they're showing up. But they become increasingly more surrounded because uh, they just can't get out of these situations. And it just keeps getting worse. So, wait, if we fail on this, does everyone die? So, we've, we, I don't know if we've explained <laughs> this on the podcast. We do have, like, different levels of success, right? We can get a mixed success. Yeah. Only an average of four or lower is a failure, um, which is pretty hard to do. So we will probably have some, some kind of mixed success in this situation. Cool. So we can, we can figure out what that means. Probably it means my guy's you dead. Got a, you got a three, right, Brian? Yeah, I got a three. Okay, I'm just, and Jake got a 13. I got a 13. I'm just figuring out what the average is. Um, oh, but we do have some yeah we still have your your, your character needs yeah to, and we did roll. decide like if someone rolls a natural one or a natural 20 that could uh, that could save everything yeah, okay. yeah natural one is like total failure natural right. 20 is like dos ex machina something yeah um so i'm gonna paint a picture before revealing my role okay are you like like well a watercolor or like uh seems like kind of a weird time to stop and paint a picture yeah we're kind of recording a podcast right now i'm gonna use Different shades of blue in this. Nah. Um, so, so here's what's going on. Uh, Kenneth, sorry, Brett, but for all intents and purposes, Fantasy Brett. Kenneth is just drawing attention. Yeah. Uh, his, friends, his friends call him Fantasy Kenneth. Yeah. <laughs> you can call me Brett because you're not my friend. Actually, everyone's <laughs> my friend, so whatever. The general is like putting up a fight, holding off a lot of these... Um, a lot of these hunters, and I think we're taken out. We, we get like a couple of them. Uh, some of the others, we just have to run, or we have to like gain distraction from other players who try to join in the fight to help us. But 
like maybe sacrifice themselves or um, we just use a moment of confusion by the hunters to make a getaway. And I think through all this, Rob Rock is wrestling back and forth of like, he's got this hesitation because some of these hunters are his friends. And he's just like, do I, what am I doing? Like, I've got this moral stance of, um, I'm, I'm fighting for what is right, but I can't hurt my fellows. And he's like trying to help in the fight, but he's also just really hesitant. And then as you guys scale the different layers, the different levels of the inverse mountain, Attention's killing me, by the way. I yeah. am I am very nervous to see what's going to happen here. Uh, I'm emotionally attached to, like, everyone involved already. And, and you're going. It's been a three-day journey at this point. You're tired. You've, you're getting by on some water. And you're just barely getting by through the skin of your teeth. Uh, this is where we can pad out some episodes in the HBO Max series. Like, maybe uh, four or five episodes per day. Or uh, that yeah, fill yeah. out the three-day period. You can start to see uh, signs of outside Inverse Mountain, and you're getting there. But the hunters, they've made their way through the rest, uh, or seemingly most of the other competitors. You are quite sure. And there's about four left who trap the three of you. They hold out all their wands, because they're mostly all uh, warlocks and mentors. And they're getting ready Wait, did, did mentor, did to do a me? final Eldritch Blast. And Kenneth gears up a big Guardian of Faith, and Jake gets out his pistols, and he's already firing at them. They're dodging, but you can tell they're getting ready for one last strike. Boston Rob Rock has to make a final decision. And he says, you know what? This is my kin. I can't betray them. And he takes out his sword and cuts off Kenneth and William's heads. No! I just sent you a picture of my role. What? Oh no! <laughs> Did you actually wait? Where's the picture? I'm, I know what it is, but it's I can't chat. believe this. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. I I know, rolled a natural one, and in the oh my darkest moment, Rob Rock decided I need to redeem myself oh. for my for my clansmen, and he takes him out and holds out his hand and says. Brothers, will you forgive me and accept me back in? And they take a moment, they consider it. Oh, man. And then they raise their wands and blast with some chagrin, Eldritch Blast, and kill Rob Rock as well. Oh, no. Hey, well. Wow. This was really dark. I, I do. I have some words to say. And. Final words. I know that you said that he cut off their heads, right? But just for the sake of. Uh, we, we can retcon it a little bit. Yeah, so I think that my character, despite his outward stoic, like, you know, appearance, he was kind of interested in this uh, in this stork fellow um, for a very specific reason. And uh, as he is laying, man, I'm going to start crying. As he's laying <laughs> next to him in the ground and they're bleeding to death, he turns to him and he says, Robert, I, I want to be honest with you before we die. And he says, I haven't been honest up to this point. And he says, my name is not General William Jones. I'm not a general. And he says, but you have the insignia on your commander jacket. I hadn't put this jacket on in 25 years. And he says, now the part that was true 
is that I came out here as sort of a training exercise because I do need to go and find my my son that will now never see me again after he was kidnapped. And then he says, I don't know if we'll end up in the same place in the great beyond, but if, uh, if you find the person that brought me my children, could you just thank them for bringing me Smith and Wesson? Oh. You mean the dogs that I delivered? Oh, no. Down to reach? <laughs> don't go that far, Brian. Don't take it that far. <laughs> I'm already emotional. But okay. I think, ha- I think it has to be. I think it has to be. Wife, his eyes, yeah. I didn't even, like, it didn't occur to me that that could be a possibility. That's why I reacted that way. But uh, when he says that, Jed just opens his eyes and uh, a single tear rolls down his, his face. And uh, he leans over and and kisses him on the forehead, and then they both slump into the mud. Oh, no. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, Houston. Damn right, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> oh, man. So emotional. I, I can't believe my favorite character, who survived his episode, died in a different one <laughs> after his dog got kidnapped. Uh, it was supposed to be like the beginning of a long-running like the that would appear every so often, like a long running like John Wick scenario. <laughs> <laughs> well, it only Houston had the wrong one. He came to the he came to this thing to get his edge back because he had to he had to take up his sidearms once again. I decided to take a dump on your but now That's for sure. Now it's never happening. And oh, we have man. a lost dog somewhere. Oh man. Which dog was it? Uh for the for the conca for the encyclopedia it was wesson Here, here's what here's yeah, what we can it. end off with it's still back with jed's wife i i will i'll leave the story in this place none of the survivors make it out of the survivor competition therefore that makes it much better. there uh there is this dark irony that this will go on and it will be <laughs> this quiet plague in the world of shivalo oh, no. and no one will ever know what happened to Jed? No one will ever know what happened to Jed. Um, and Man, this, and people will continue to be tricked into coming out here to this uh, unfathomably dark pit of despair. But we didn't have like a big bad evil guy for this, but th- this may be shaping up to be that. After killing beloved characters, Brett Zaconia and Jed, Am- Jed Amright, and also, um, I forgot your. your your character's name, because all I can think about is Pref Jokes. Well, Pref, Pref Jokes <laughs> was the leader of this, so maybe he is the big bad now. Right. No, but who's your character that got killed? Oh, Boston Rob Rock. Yeah, Boston Rob Rock, that's right. Man, beloved characters shot down in their prime. Um, I mean, Boston Rob Rock turned on us. Can I finish Can I finish my scene? I, I was in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, we didn't have to resolve that. Yeah, and there was a redemption arc, so. I like to think that the 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 camera in this HBO series, it's going down into the pit and we just see at each level there's different bodies that get slain in different ways. And we're reliving the memories of the friends we made along the way. And now that they're dead. And then we see at the top, right as the sun is about to peak over the horizon, the the last tear fall from Jadam Wright's well, yeah, Jadam Wright's eyes. Before he dies. And then the camera pans out and we see Pref Jopes smile 
and turn to his fellow hunters and say, I think this was a success. And they cheer, and there's dark, evil, twisted music playing in the background. But as the sun continues to rise, the camera pans out across the sea, back to the mainland, and then in an indiscernible location somewhere on the mainland, you do see a dog, Wesson, hopping a fence and running into the wild. Hope persists. It might be surrounded around this dog. And in another location, in a lonely doghouse normally shared by two, a dog named Smith uses his dog senses to smell something on the air that smells like the blood of someone he loves deeply, and he howls in pain. Yeah, but then it, go- and, and, then and- it goes back to Wesson, because we want to have a hopeful ending at the end. Right. No, but you know, Smith is Smith is going to be the John Wick. <laughs> Smith is going to be. Dude, that's what I, that's what I'm trying to imply. That yeah. Smith, has, Smith has to finish the job the job that Jed couldn't. <laughs> or like Belinda, but um, nah, she she's she's. I think I think she since Jed left. I think she she's basically living with her brother at the. Well, saloon. I think you got your next character or a future character, Jake, a Beastmaster Ranger, and their beast companion is Smithen. Smith. We just got to determine who the ranger is. Yep. All right. Cool. This has been uh, quite an emotional ride. We figured out how making babies works, <laughs> and we, we really covered we covered everything from life to death in sure this episode. Um, so, I guess join us next time uh, on Background Checks. I'm Brian Perry. I'm Houston Bobley. I'm Jake Bush. Oh no, we might have broken Jake. We might have to just end the series for a few months. We did some damage here today. I think this was the ba- this this was Background Checks. Red wedding moment. <laughs> and from now on, the things will never be the same. Now it's all serious and somber. <laughs> now it doesn't have to always be serious and somber, but now we know that this world is real and it will hurt you. It will hurt you. Uh, all right. That was not and bye. Bye.